Welcome to Conversations with Big Rich. This is an interview-style podcast. These interviewed are all involved in the off-road industry. Being involved, like all of my guests are, is a lifestyle, not just a job. I talk to past, present, and future legends, as well as business owners, employees, media, and land-use warriors, men and women who have found their way into this exciting and addictive lifestyle we call off-road. We discuss their personal history, struggles, successes, and reboots. We dive into what drives them to stay active in off-road. We all hope to shed some light on how to find a path into this world that we live and love and call off-road. This episode of Conversations with Big Rich is brought to you by the Off-Road Motorsports Hall of Fame. The mission of the Hall of Fame is to educate and inspire present and future generations of the off-road community by celebrating the achievements of those who came before. We invite you to help fulfill the mission of the Off-Road Motorsports Hall of Fame. Join, partner, or donate today. Legends live at ormhoff.org. Thank you for joining us today. Today's guest will be none other than Brad Lovell of Lovell Racing. And we're very pleased to have him on board. He's a very accomplished racer in a number of different venues, but I believe rock crawling was his start. We'll find out his whole story right now. Well, Brad Lovell, long time no see, uh, KOH, I guess it was. Glad to have you on board. And we'd like to discuss kind of your relationship with motorsports and how you all got started and a little bit about your life and uh, tell us, uh, give us some insight on who, you know, Brad Lovell really is. Well, so, right on, Rich. I, I very much appreciate the opportunity to be here and, and kind of share my story. I, I, whenever anybody asks me about how we got started or, or how we got going in this, I always tell them it's, it's passion. It's driven by passion. And really, you know, years ago, we got involved through just going camping in the Colorado mountains here. I think it was like 1983. My dad, we, we got a, a big Bronco, right? And, uh, and we had this little pop-up trailer. We actually rented one. We started going up camping in the mountains. And I was, I was seven or eight at that time. I loved being in the mountains. We did like three trips every summer. And ah, I just loved being up there. And I always wanted to go exploring. And I can remember sitting in the backseat of that Bronco, Roger and I, and saying, you know, Dad, come on, let's keep going. Let's go see where this road goes and go up to this mine and up that hill. And he'd go do some, but he was he was fairly conservative. And I, I always remember thinking, man, I just want to know where that road goes and what's up this fork. And I remember him saying, oh, it's a dead end. It's, and it's like, I don't care if it's a dead end. I want to go see what's at the end of that road. Yeah, because so, the, road, the road ends. But, you know. but the road is the reason why you go, right? It's not, right. It's, and, and what's at the end of it is only, you know, the added prize. So, uh, you know, summer after summer, we, we went on doing that. And then uh, Roger, he's three years older than I am. So, gosh, I'm trying to think what year it was. I was going to ask that who was older. So you, it, I'm yeah, glad you Roger's that early. older. So maybe it was, let's see, he was born in 73. So when was he 16? That would have been 89, I guess, right around 89, 90. He turned 16 and he got a Bronco too. And that was his prized possession, right? So now he and I can go off and we went off with our buddy, Dave, who still comes out of the King of the Hammers with us, my cousin, Mark. And, we were able to start camping by ourselves and 
and uh, looking for some more adventure and going to see some more of these roads. I, three years later, I got a Ford Ranger, uh, an 88 Ranger, and that was my prized possession. I remember my, my dad bought it for me and we, uh, we went down to the dealership to look at it. It was a used Ranger. I remember looking at it, my dad's haggling with the guy and we walked away over like $125 or something. It was 125 or 165 bucks. And I was pissed at him, you know, because that's the truck I wanted. So I remember I go home, I go to school the next day and he's like, Hey, you know, go get something in the garage. And I grumbled at him and I walk out and there's the truck in the garage. So awesome. That's great. That pretty cool. But, um, uh, so now I, I had my truck, Roger had his, uh, and again, my cousin, Mark, our buddy, Dave, so now there's four of us and now it's like, it's on now. Right. Cause we can, we can all go and we're challenging ourselves trying more difficult trails in Colorado. And, and it took a while to progress. And, and my dad kind of came along. He, he bought a 76 Bronco that we still have. And, uh, during high school, I kind of fixed that up in the garage and Roger helped out. He was at college at the time. So he, even he kind of joined in and we did a, we did a lot of off-roading. We started reaching further and going further and uh, I was going to school in, in Wyoming at the time, and boy, I remember I broke a rear axle up there, and I, I changed a rear axle in an icy parking lot and freezing wind. I mean, we both Roger and I, we, we struggled for this and worked for this. During that college time, like right when I was graduating, I remember I took a trip out through Utah, like a, a two-week trip, just all by myself in, in my truck, because I wanted to go see stuff, you know? went and saw a bunch of national parks and then went down to Cedar city. Cause I'd been watching rock crawling kind of start to evolve competitive rock crawling. I thought, man, that's some pretty cool stuff. And I remember I went to Cedar city out at three peaks and it was, it was the very first rock crawl I watched. And I thought, Oh man, this is for me. You know, how, how can I get in? And I was still figuring out, you know, I was young and trying to figure out the money and I didn't have, I didn't have a rock crawler. I, I had my Ranger that I'd been fixing up and working on. So I guess I did that. And I think it was later, later in the year. You remember the super crawl where they did the poster uh, of Walker Evans rolled down in yep. Farmington. I, I happened to be standing like right about where that picture was shot during that time. I, I had drugged my, my brother and my cousin down for that event. And that, that was it. That was enough to put us over the top. And I bought a Dana 60 front end from Craigslist or actually is, you know, the classifieds at that time in Farmington, hauled it home with us. And, and I tore down my daily driver, my, my uh, 88 Ranger and turned it into a competition rock crawler. At, at that point, I, I had just gotten my own house and it's like, man, maybe, maybe there's a way to do this. So I had my own garage so at that point I went and found an old F two fifty I could tow it around with. Remember I bought my first flatbed. I mean, these are big purchases when I was a kid, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, about that time I, I was uh, getting involved with Natalie and uh, my, my wife now it, she's up here working from home, by the way. Uh, she's probably gonna be glaring at me here a little bit. We, we were getting involved and, you know, here, so I'm, I'm building my rock crawler in the garage with Roger and everybody coming over at nights and helping. And, uh, you know, it takes everything you have. It takes all your money, all your time. And it was coming out great. And I 
boy, I don't think I was going to get that project done without and, and keep Natalie around at the same time. And she, she had all these talks and discussions. She's going to go to Europe and go on some hike with a bunch of friends. And I'm thinking, no, that's not going to happen. So, so uh, anyway, during, during the whole process, I ended up proposing to her. So it was kind of a, a big point in my life because a lot of things changed because now I'm focused on racing. I'm engaged. And, uh, you know, a lot of things changed. And uh, the very first event we went to, I can remember, we went out and tested the truck in the snow and cold, and it worked okay. But you, you got to remember, you know, we did this as a group of enthusiasts. There were just four of us. And we went and did some cool stuff in Moab and in Colorado, in Western Slope of Colorado. But we didn't go to big rallies and stuff, you know. We we wanted to get good, but we weren't about showboating, I guess, you know. We just we were out there for the love of it and the challenge. So uh, the very first event we went to, I remember I pulled up to the BFG semi and bought some crawlers and had them bolt them on there. And boy, I felt great about that. And it was the uh, U-Rock in St. George, Utah. And that was very memorable because that's, that's the event where U-Rock and ARCA combined. And it was a train wreck. It It had to be the most disorganized event uh, I've ever been to, and the courses were screwed up, and we only we could only do two courses a day because everything was messed up. And I remember the very first course, I had to go down this huge, steep rock slab, and I'm freaking out, and, and I was pressing on the brakes so hard that that leg is shaking, you know? And, and then I'm driving through it with the gas, and I'm thinking, what you know now it's like we'll just let off the gas it's an easy thing to say but man i was so nervous and oh i was just stabbing at it. well actually the first course i i nosed in and got high centered and timed out i didn't even make it through one set of gates so the first course i completed was that downhill slab and back up i thought man this is great that's so nervous so uh third course we had to go up on top of this huge boulder so what do we do? We get Roger up there with the spotter strap. You remember the spotter straps? Oh yeah, we still use them. <laughs> but so we get Roger up there on a toe strap. He's pulling. He says, "Okay, come on up." So he starts running with the strap, and I go up, and I end up going over backwards, and it takes him and just slingshots him off that rock. So I'm upside down, and he ended up breaking his thumb or something. I mean, wow. he was a mess. It was it was a big deal, but he really got flung. So now he's, he's out, and uh, so we bring my cousin Mark in, and, and we go into the next course, and there's a whole bunch of cones, just cones everywhere. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and I go in, I knock over one, and he accidentally walks over three of them, and we're done. <laughs> so, so that was our, our first day of rock crawling. But, you know, as it worked out with, with the event and how screwed up it was, and they kept dropping courses, we ended up winning the event. And I was like, wow, you know, this is great. And, and again, you know, talking about money, we had to pay $400 and drive to Utah to do that event. We, we had a, a flatbed trailer. I remember we pulled off the interstate and slept on the trailer. And then uh, we set up a tent right out at the event site. Tent blew away because of high winds and everything. Uh, but we had to pay 400 bucks. And now all of a sudden we won 1200 bucks. And I'm thinking, I just made some money. You know, there's a future in this. You know, from there, we, we went on to, to the, the rest of the UROC series that year, and we won, we won every event. We got second in Supercrawl, and it's like, man, it, 
and then that's that's when we started uh level racing was that kind of that first season because i'm thinking man we got a business going on here and we're making money and it to me it's it's such a a special time and key time because i i can remember like being a kid and watching the baja 1000 and thinking oh that's that's the coolest thing i've ever seen but it's not for me because i'm not i don't have it was always about money i don't have the money don't have the money and then it was like, how do these people go to these events with only two weeks of vacation? If they're working jobs, how does this work? And I still don't know how it works. But like you said, it's passion. It's it's passion. And in rock crawling, I really feel like we're in the right place at the right time. And it gave us a segue into racing. Why? Because it was grassroots, it was affordable, and there was there was prize money to be won. Uh, so you didn't have to show up with a pit crew and, and you still don't, you know, and it's, it's why I love it, but you, it's just a, a a great weekend thing to do. You can go out and challenge yourself and, and there's some money to be won. And, and we, we took that money and took that drive and that passion and kept trying to build it. I, I can remember the, the very first sponsor I got, I was standing on my, my front porch and and I'm I'm sure you know how it is, Rich, and dealing with with a lot of uh, rookie teams, they have big plans, right? But and what I what I always tell them again today is you got to do what you say first, and when you're done with that, you take that and you sell it to a sponsor, and then do it again. Because I can remember calling people and saying, "Yeah, I'm going to build a rock crawler and go rock crawling," and they're saying, "Yeah, sure you are, you know, you and everybody else," but. <laughs> Uh, Tom at PSC uh, was willing to work with us, PSC Power Steering, and and he he gave us a discount on some parts. But what it did is it allowed me to get the parts that I needed versus the parts I could afford. And that's where so many of these partnerships are so valuable. Is just finding a way to be mutually beneficial. It's not about it's not about getting a check and running away with it. That's that's never going to happen. All, all those parts are earned and, and the partnerships have to have an intrinsic value, you know. But when I was standing on my front porch there talking to Tom, he gave me something I really needed. And I, I was so thankful and, and it really worked out. And we had a, a great partnership for a lot of years. But that was kind of the motivation of, hey, you know, now I'm, a, I'm an industry guy rather than just a, an enthusiast. And and it's great. And it's, it's that passion and desire and growth that has kind of helped, helped it grow all these years. So, you know, after, after that first season of rock crawling, uh, we kept running U-Rock mainly because it was, it was Utah events. And I remember they set up a uh, super crawl right out in front of SEMA. I think that was the, the second year that we ran. And again, <laughs> it was a disaster of an event. Uh, the course, the course was pretty cool, but it was kind of, it was one of the first, I don't know if it was the first, but it was one of the first man-made courses, which was kind of a turning point in the sport, as you remember, I'm sure. But we, we went to super crawl there and we didn't finish till two in the morning, I think, but we won it. And that, that was a big deal. That was a really big deal for me, uh, because it was right before SEMA. So I could go into SEMA and talk to all these prospective sponsors and say, look, you know, that vehicle out front, that's ours. We just won out here. 
and that that was actually when I we got involved with Ford a little bit at the time. And again, that was a huge deal for our team and a huge deal for the sport. Uh, one thing I guess that that we always wanted to do, we never wanted to have a rock buggy. You know, I always wanted to have a truck, not a buggy. So initially we took the the sheet metal from my 88 Ranger. We cut it all up, fit it real nicely to the chassis. And then it was, it was that time at SEMA with Ford where we came up with an agreement. It wasn't much, but hey, they're willing to endorse our team and they're willing to send us some sheet metal and some parts so we can kind of make that thing look more like a newer Ranger. And I can't tell you how many hours I put into making that body. Uh, I did it in a little shed in the, the back of our old house uh, with no heat. But I, I learned how to do fiberglass molds and and uh, went through through so much with that, modifying the grill and shrinking everything down. You know, I, I remember I did the front fenders. And when you're doing fiberglass, you can't just do one side and mirror it for the other side. It's artwork. You have to do both sides. And oh, I had all this work into it. And I, I made the plugs. So then you pour the mold onto that. And then you release it and you use the mold to make your part. Well, they stuck together. So the whole, the, you know, the whole project was junk. And throw it out, come back and do it again. You know, again, it takes everything you have, whether it's, it's all your passion and time and money. It's those things that add up. And, and for me, a, a lot of that time and very much still, it's time and passion. And, and not to talk bad about people that kind of come in with a bunch of money and, and pay for it. It's, it's whatever you're doing to get you there. It's, and it's that desire to go out and win and be number one. Anyhow, uh, the, uh, the first Ranger that we built, it was, a, uh, it was built off of a frame because the rules at the time, the, the modified class, back to the fact we didn't want a rock buggy. We wanted a truck. So modified class, that's, that's where we wanted to be. And, uh, and the rules at the time required a frame. And those rules still cause a lot of my disdain for limited class rules these days because, you know, here's a great idea. Hey, truck has to have a frame. Let's base it on that. But there, there are so many different things, you, ways you can read that frame or that, that rule. I remember the guys from Twisted Customs, they angled their frame rails in. Great idea, right? But they used aftermarket frame rails. And here I had just worked months and months and months on mine. I come out with more traditional setup and it's like, oh, come on, you know? But, <laughs> and, and nobody's cheating. They're just interpreting the rules differently. So, um, and, and to, to that end, where the, the King of the Hammers rules are right now with a Legends class, like front engine, two seats, single shock per corner, solid axle, those are all black and white. And I, I, I like those rules because it's just black and white and there's, there's no way to screw stuff up. But in any case, that car was, was getting dated because of that frame technology. The frame was getting bent. So we built uh, our second car in 2007, 2008, I think. And, and that's right when, obviously, the, the economy wasn't looking so great. But maybe it's 2006, somewhere in that time frame, right? I guess it'd have to be 2006 is when we put together our current Ranger. We did it. You know, there, there's the first non-event uh, King of the Hammers, the OG 
13 or so we didn't go to that one but it's kind of that was right after we had been completing it and we thought well we're gonna we definitely want it to be a rock crawler and we're gonna have it so we can adapt it a little bit for that event so i remember i had a, a five gallon backpack style fuel cell that just went behind my driver's seat you know you could turn around and see the whole rear suspension visibility lines everywhere out of that car so much of it was built around visibility and we had a clear door on the on the passenger side which i'm sure a lot of guys still do all oh, that's worth so much and then we'd kind of take some of those things off and put in a radio and put in a different fuel cell and go give king of the hammers a shot we had a lot of domination looking back in the the early days of, of rock crawling with you know with we rock also i remember running the Grand Nationals down there and, and winning in Farmington. I mean, all those were, were such special moments. And, and every time every time we'd go do well, we'd get a podium finish, we'd win an event. I'm thinking, man, this is great. We'd get some media, we'd get you know some prize money, but I was scared to death all those years. What's gonna happen when we don't get a podium? What's gonna happen when there's not much of a story out of one of these events? So I kept working that whole time to to bolster our position and I what worked for us for a lot of years is I'd write a story every event I'd write a story and we'd have some pictures and I'd send that out to a whole list of media contacts and our sponsors and they wouldn't always pick it up but a lot of times magazines would just you know they have an article in the can written for them so why not publish it and here's some pictures to go with it and it really worked well for us and, and got us a lot of notoriety. So uh, along that time also, the thing, like it or not, that you always have to talk about is money. And how do you keep going? And how do you keep fund, funding this? Because at a certain point, it goes from doing, you know, maybe four events a year that you can do on vacation time and kind of cover the costs to, to something more serious. And, and I ultimately wanted something more serious. So is three years in or so, I guess is around 2006, I was working as an engineer for the city, actually as a project manager at, at that time. I didn't have any expectations of me at work. All I wanted to do was surf pirate and uh, go rock crawling. I, I remember I'd sit there at work and, and read pirate and learn and scroll through all that stuff and see all this free technology. And eventually it, it came to the point that now I'm married to Natalie and she's pregnant with our boys, Adam and Byam, twins. It was the day, it was the day they were born that I quit my job. And and that was a that was a big deal because here I am, I'm gonna be a I'm gonna be a professional rock crawler, right? That's that's full yeah. commitment right there. <laughs> yeah, I know. Twins, married, yeah. house, well, racing. And a regular job, my regular job. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. That it, at least I had that realization, right, Rich? That I can't go racing, have kids, and have a job. But I, I gave up. I gave up my job. I gave up my my engineering career, and that's that's one thing where you know Roger has stuck with his engineering career, and he kind of comes in and helps with level racing and goes to some of the races. But you know, day to day, I'm dealing with level racing, and then. I don't know. I I fancy myself an engineer here or there, but uh, but it was again a big turning point in my life, and it it was the the best of times and the worst of times. I mean, there were highs and lows, and especially during the 
the economic crunch we had picked up before that we had Alloy USA was our first like cash sponsor and oh a huge debt of gratitude to Ron Stoboff for helping us out and that kind of enticed Fabtech to get involved and now when Fabtech got involved there are actually some expectations and some funding it it wasn't it wasn't and it'll never be us getting rich because going back to the fact takes everything that you have every dollar every amount of time so what I tell everybody is the more money you give me, the more I'm going to spend being fast, doing racing, whatever. But Fabtech got involved, and man, it was great. And I re- remember going out to Moab with those guys and doing events, and it's just everything was flourishing. Uh, Rick Hoosman was one of my teammates, and the Hoosmans kind of got involved and helped our team out. And then the the economy collapsed. LAUSA uh, went bankrupt. Fabtech went bankrupt. And, and they emerged from it. And I, I got to give them credit for that. We were left holding the bag. We didn't, you know, we payments due and, uh, and, and nowhere to go. Based and, on expectations. Right. Right. And, and it was, uh, we got a mortgage payment, got a family. Natalie got laid off of her job. And it was, it was a little scary, you know. And we, I remember it was August and we, we figured, well, we can go here. I don't know. It's one of these crazy decisions again, but we can go live on the road as cheap as we can live at home. So we took my, my mom's pop-up and drove up to Canada and we drove slow to save gas and we stayed roadside campgrounds. And, you know, looking back, was it a scary time? Yeah. But, you know, did we have a lot of great adventures as a family? Yes, we did. And things got better. Am's oil, during this whole time, kept upping, upping their sponsorship with us. And I got involved with Torchmate at the time. And between Torchmate and Amsoil, we were able to salvage the next season and go racing again. But that was, that was definitely a point where it, it could have ended. And I, I, uh, a local sponsor of ours, uh, Fred Robinson, put me to work as a construction foreman. So I... I spent a few months managing a construction project. You know, everything since then has kind of kept ticking up and we knew COVID was going to come up, right? And we'll see, we'll see where we come out of this. I guess one thing that, that 2008 taught me is that you can go through these hard times and still come out on the other side. Uh, Ron Snowbot being involved with our team always challenged us to get out and do more. And, and while we're great, great at rock crawling let's go see what else you're great at you know and and don't stagnate and he really drove that into us and he offered us our first opportunity down in Baja which I will never forget uh, he's done that with a lot of guys yeah I know it's, it's awesome Stoball's name keeps coming up and he was one of our, <laughs> he was one of my first marketing partners as well well he's he's such a passionate visionary type and he's he's done so much for the sport behind the scenes and uh, it was, I think it was 2006, it was my first time down in Baja, and Eric Falar was running at Jeep Speed. It was a peninsula run, and, you know, here I am, I, I was still working at that time, so I have my little chunk of time, I'm going to go to Baja, and it's like, okay, Ron, I can go down there for three days, but then I have to fly home. Okay, whatever. So uh, I, I didn't have a helmet. <laughs> I went down there and I, I was going to ride with uh, Eric and they put me in for the first section because I had to go home. I couldn't go down the peninsula. 
I remember I, I got in and I was so scared of traps and everything. They, they redirected us the wrong way off the start. We got that fixed. We got stuck in a silt bed. I said, Eric, should I get out and, you know, work this out? And he's like, eh, I just hang out in the car for now. And right then, another Jeep Speed clipped the back of us and shot off to the side and rolled down in the bushes. And then this guy emerges with a bandana on. He said, I'm going to get you out of here. And I just remember thinking, oh, my God, this is a real deal, you know? <laughs> so we got towed out of there. I had my tulip notes and my sunglasses in my hands. They were just, you know, destroyed within 50 miles. We had, we had to stop. We had a fuel cell foam falling apart. So I can remember a Mexican, you know, shoulder deep in the fuel cell pulling the foam out for us. And uh, we busted a shock off. So it was dark by the time we got over on San Felipe, which is where I was supposed to go out. And I remember, you know, we're going to stop at BFG Pits. And, well, it, this should all be preceded by the fact the GPS was set up and it had the hazards, but it didn't have the course line. So, and I didn't know how to run a GPS. So there's no course line. We're wandering around. And we see this semi way off on the left, I remember, on old, old Portocitos Road before they paved it down there. And I remember going by thinking, oh, that's LeDuc's pit. Crap, he has a big semi. This is crazy. Can't wait till we find BFG pit. So we keep going down into the darkness. And Eric says, I'm pretty sure we should have found it by now. He's like, I didn't see any BFG pit, but oh, I wonder if it's LeDuc's trailer back there. <laughs> so we turn around and we go wrong way on course, Rich. And we go back to the pit. <clears throat> and uh, they, they worked on the car there for a while. And, and uh, that's, that's where I was kicked out. Next thing I know, I got to meet this guy, uh, Baja Dan, to get my ride back north up to Phoenix. And that's a whole nother story, but it took a couple days. And I, I, it took me to Phoenix to figure out who won the race because information obviously wasn't flowing then like it does now. And that was the same year that race ended. Uh, Tracy Jordan was racing with wide open that year. Kenny Bartram, Kenny and uh, Tracy went off a cliff. And that was that was a bad deal. And and Eric was the next car on scene and he ended up stopping and uh waiting with those guys, which was probably the choice. And yes. uh so that's where our that's where our race ended in Loretto. But but that was my first exposure to Baja and I've I've been doing whatever I can to go back ever since. I love it down there. But our our career, you know, we we kept on with rock crawling for years and years and years. And as things changed, we focused a little bit more on King of the Hammers. And then in 2010, as my sponsorship kept growing with Amsoil, they, you know, I kept, I, I wanted to go short course racing. That, that was kind of the next thing. And initially, it was rock crawling. And it's not that my love for rock crawling has ever receded, but it's like, wow, here's the next coolest, brightest thing. So I remember we went to... Um, we flew into Vegas and went to Prim, Natalie and Roger and I. We showed up at the event and I heard the trucks practicing. I was like, wow, this is for me. So I run right up to the fence on the outside of turn three and put my nose up to the wire. Here comes a truck, wow, singing around. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I got roosted. Crack, 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 crack. <laughs> so those, those are the lessons you learn along the way, right? But uh, we watched that race. And, you know, I was convinced, you know, I got the money. I can, you know, if I scrape together and work hard enough, I can get a ProLite. And that's when ProLites were running four cylinders and carbon clutches and everything. And they, they were ticking time bombs. 
And it was intimidating walking around the pits, talking to a bunch of people trying to figure it out. We were watching and uh, Rick Hoosman was running his pro four coming across the whoops on the infield. And the, the video's on YouTube, but he hit the whoop wrong and does a double flip in the air, lands right on his tires and rolls off the course. And I saw that and it's like, yep, I think I need to wait a couple of years before I get involved with your course. <laughs> I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. And because I couldn't see what he had done wrong. That's what bugged me the most about it. And I remember I went and talked to him the next day and he's like, yeah, you know, I bent the truck a little bit, but it's all right. And, and it's just like, no, this is, this is too much. So it, it took uh, uh, three, four years. But in 2010, we had an opportunity with Amsoil to get involved, you know, and it, and it was kind of like, here's, here's enough money to go hang yourself. I, I remember I drove from Colorado to Crandon for a single test day and then drove back again. You know, I didn't know what I was doing. I jumped in my pro light and I'm out there spinning around and running it just as hard as I can. And I come out of the back hairpin and up into turn one. And there's a couple guys standing in the course. I'm figuring, what the hell is this? You know, so I stopped and it was uh, Jeremy McGrath and, and Johnny Greaves. And they pretty much told me, look, man, you've got to get slow it down, get it under control, think about more of the rhythm. You're trying too hard. And Rich, it's it's tough, man. It's a it's a tough deal, and, and short course will break your heart. But uh so I that was that single day I had out there. So I came all the way back to Colorado, finished the truck, go all the way back out to Crandon. And my very first race, and I, you know, I got something to prove, right? Because I'm, I'm the new guy and go through turn one, right into turn two. And I clip a guy, it wasn't even a hard clip. You know, I rock crawl, you slam into stuff, you roll your car. You, and here I just think hit him and it, and it broke the front tie rod and my race was over. I, I felt like the world fell apart, you know, because I, I had so much, I felt like I needed to prove. And that first season of short course, it was rough. It was rough. And I remember people telling me it's going to be rough. And maybe I didn't believe him. And finally, Marty Hart, another old time rock crawler, his advice to me was make sure you get every lap of every race so you get that experience. And that's finally what I focused on. I, I was so worried that Amzo was going to cancel our sponsorship. And I was fortunate enough, got a, got a second season in it. We, we started doing better. And then I remember the, the first race I won. I'll never forget it in Red Bud. But it's like, finally, and what we had done, we changed the rear spring rate in the car to make it a little bit softer. And finally, the thing felt balanced. You know, I could carry it through a turn. I didn't have to fight it and muscle it the whole way. And then the, the following season, we won a championship. Then I felt like, man, I've made it. You know, I've, I've really made it. And I'm envisioning, you know, my future with, you know, huge shops and all kinds of trucks and money. And no, nope, not much changed the next year. In fact, we raced with Nissan that year. And Nissan did a lot for us at the time. Ron Stukenberg was a great coach and great mentor. But we won the championship and Nissan pulled out of racing. It's like, come on, what are you doing, you know? Timing is everything. The point is, there's a lot of ups and downs. I think. I guess I think there are highs and lows in racing and, and you've got to do what you got to do to, to, to even those out uh, because you, you get too hung up on the highs and you're going to lose yourself. And that's where a lot of people have flamed out because they, 
they overexpend or they try to grow too fast or just get ahead of themselves. Or, you know, you get hung up in one of the lows and it's just not fun anymore. So you quit and really worked over the years to even those out. But so, you know, spent a lot of years in short course, raced pro light for five, six years, raced pro two for, for three years. And, uh, you know, pro two, the, one of the things I remember about that, we won some races, we had some good times, but again, those are ticking time bombs. And, you know, you got a $60,000 engine that's running on the ragged edge and we blew a couple of them up and it, it stops being fun real quick. You know, again, talk, being overextended, it, it was, it was not fun being overextended. And we kind of got to that point in Pro 2 <clears throat> before the engine rule changes. And, and up until that point in my life, it's like I always knew, man, I'm going to have a trophy truck someday. I want a trophy truck. And Pro 2 kind of taught me, I don't want a trophy truck. I, I really don't find too many things that are fun about race engines. They, <laughs> they take all your money and all your fun and, and break it and end up in the oil pan. Exactly. The... Uh... Uh, Guys are learning that with Ultra 4 yep. or have been learning it. There's a lot of guys that came out there that had money to spend and, yep. you know, going through four or five engines in a year, yep. you know, it's just devastated them. They sell their car and they never go back to racing. You know, there's uh, that old Ivan Stewart uh, video game with the three wheels on it and you go win a race and it's like, what do you want to spend your money on? Engine, shocks. Uh, top speed, tires, and that's there's so much truth to that game. And the problem with with race engines and high dollar overbuilt engines is they take all that money and flush it out of the system because it's just broken parts. You know, I still I still have race engines and I still love the way they sound, but man, it's the point is so a lot of guys can afford sixty hundred thousand dollar race engines. I'm not one of them they hurt when they break and it, it takes fun and it takes money out of racing. So, uh, and, and to the point of King of the Hammers, what do you need in King of the Hammers? You need a car that's going to survive that race. You don't Correct. need to hit the top speed on the lake bed, you know, and, and some of the other short course races they're doing, you do need to hit the top speed. You do need the big engine. We've always, uh, always aired on the, the side of conservative, uh, in, in King of the Hammers and, you know, even I think a lot of that, Rich, it actually came from rock crawling. You have to be so strategic. You know, are you going to take the bonus line? Are you going to do a spotter ride? Are you going to take a back? And it's a chess mass match. It's a puzzle you have to figure out. A lot of guys that we see don't figure that out or they talk to their friends before that are competing in the rock crawls. They're like, OK, you know, I'm going to I'm going to try this because I'm a great crawler. You know, I, I go out and I do all bust all these big trails you know, I'm the greatest driver in the world. And then they come out there and they have to drive our lines through our cones the way we want it done. And rock crawling sure changes with cones in a crowd. Yes, you, know, you, it got does. Pressure, <laughs> you got pressure, you got, you know, strategies. You know, I, I always feel for the guys that, that jump straight into the pro classes instead of coming up through sportsmen because they don't get to learn the strategy. And they, I always tell them, Come any any new competitor, come over and watch the judges video so that you understand what the judges are looking for so that right. you can try to avoid those things. And people 
still to this day don't do it. The ones that, that succeed the fastest have either judged or have at least watched the video and then gotten involved. It's so technical. I think so much of it, Rich is, and, and I've, I've been one of them, but you come out there with a chip on your shoulder, like, man, I'm the best, you know, you got an ego. We're all type a people. Yes. And, and I think, you know, as, as I've matured in my racing career, I've, I've tried to let some of that go, but I'm still watching my neighbor. I'm not, you know, you're always watching the guy next to you, you know, (laughs) whether it's a Chrome trophy truck or a matching helicopter or what, you know, all that still matters a little bit, but, but it all waters down. You know, it's like that first rock crawl I went to, I, I knew I was the best. And in the first short course race out in Crandon, I knew I was the best. I just had to prove it. And it can be heartbreaking. And, gut-wrenching but that's that's what racing is and and over i think it it breaks you or you have to be able to laugh at your own uh faults over time to be able to digest it right because nobody can win them all but uh, but it's it you know motorsports is definitely humbling it is because you can be at the at the very top one day and be at the very bottom the next day yep you know and it and it's it can be something so simple Look at these guys that are that are racing, you know. And I go back to the racing aspect of it instead of the crawling, because typically crawling's not as damaging um, to a vehicle nowadays. Um, we had a period there where you know things got <laughs> a little out of control. Yeah. Well, you know, it was talked about it with a, another interview I did with Lance Clifford, is when John Nelson and John Bondurant built yep. that. The tiny, tiny. John Nelson calls me up and says, Hey Rich, you need to allow everybody to put water in their tires. Water is free. And I'm like, that's not a good enough argument because it's not free because once you load your tires, that chromoly right. axle is not going to last. That right. Everything's going to have to become 300 M, you know, and then everything's going to be more expensive. And he looked at me and, you know, we're on a phone, but you know, he, he turns around and says, Really? Because I'm the only one that can afford $15,000 worth of tungsten and I'm going to weld it to my rims then. <laughs> Water's free. Right. You know, I went, damn you, Nelson. <laughs> right. <I know. laughs> but, and, and that's the nature of racing. You can't get away from the dollar escalation. Correct. And, and it's, it's tough. I mean, I can remember Rob, Rob McCachron. You know, I look up a lot to, to Rob because to me, he's – He's the best and he's a pro and he's made a living at it. You know, in, in my eyes, he's, he's the greatest off-road racer. And I was talking to him about the, the dollar figures back in the short course days. And he said, you know what, Brad? He said, racing costs a lot of money. Get over it. It's like, but, but Rob, it's, it's just get over it. You know, you gotta, you gotta let it go and you gotta find the, the right level that you can participate and have fun. And hey, if it's not running trophy trucks in the Baja 1000, get over it. You know, there's still, there's so much fun to be had between, you know, the county fair and running trophy trucks in in the Baja. I mean, there's, there's a whole world of off-road motorsports out there that, you know, obviously we can't wait to get back to. So, so to that end, to kind of complete our, our story of, of all these years, you know, it, it, 
AMZO's involvement in short course kind of folded up. It, since we've done so many different things with rock crawling and King of the Hammers, desert racing and our Bronco and everything, that they were willing to extend uh, our sponsorship to give Spec Trophy Truck a shot. And so that's kind of been our focus now or where we're throwing away the most money. And it's pretty amazing, Rich. It's it's a whole different experience and it's hard for me because I, it doesn't take the same skill set that rock crawling does. And that's, it doesn't take that technical nature that I kind of grew into and, and found a lot of success at there. There are some spots where it's really technical and you got to get the truck through there, but learning the scale of the truck, the weight of the truck, how the pace, what you can run, it's something else, man. And a lot of it is just smashing through stuff that you just, there shouldn't be a way that you can do that. It just, it blows my mind the the pace that you have to keep and the level of risk you have to take in, in dust, you know, over blind rises. A lot of these people driving these trucks are, are, are daredevils, you know? And where, where I look at uh, my skill set is, know, being more strategic. So I think uh, more difficult races like down in Baja kind of favor us more than some of the the best in the desert races these guys run. Like, you know, the pace that Jason Voss is keeping out there, he knows these courses year over year, but holy cow. I mean, it's, it's hauling ass and it's doing it all day long. So I, I, but what I appreciate about it is you know, coming into rock crawling, coming into short course, in the king of the hammers, into desert, there's always something that needs to be learned. And then, you know, as you master it, you're you're either winning, which is great, but as soon as you win, now if you don't win the next year, it's a letdown, and you perfect your craft, and you get irritated by little mistakes you make. And what I what I really enjoy about running this spec trophy truck is the learning curve because it's like, hey, you know, I, I'm giving myself the liberty to make some mistakes. I crashed it into a tree and rolled it. This is the scariest thing I ever did. But uh, it's going through that learning process that I really appreciate without having that, that really high bar and knowing that, man, if we didn't get a podium or something, we should be hanging our heads. No, it's very competitive out there, and there's a lot of learning, and I'm, I'm excited to do it. And I, we're making headway. We've, we we uh, we had a podium finish last year, almost got on the podium in the mint this year. It, it's all these little things. It's, you know, in the mint, we could have been second, maybe second or third, and we hit a rock. And then so we stop, and then the, the air jack wouldn't work, and one of the spare tires had fallen off. So the tire change took us forever. And that, you know, that's from now we're down in fourth place. And it's just those little things. If I hadn't hit the rock, would have been fine. Yep. What if? Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, let's let's talk about. You mentioned partners earlier. A lot of people call them sponsors. I I don't like the term sponsor. It cheapens what what it really is about. You know, it's partnerships and what you as a racer. A lot of guys don't understand this, and I think this is where you've been able to take those long relationships with one of your partners, and I like to call them marketing partners. Because it is it is a partnership, just like a marriage, just like a business partnership right. with somebody. You know, it takes all effort from everybody to make it work. 
not just give me parts, give me some money, and right. then you know you walk away because you got to give them something in return. Exactly. It's yeah. it's a it's a job and it's a hard job, and I think that's why uh, it's the same point you're bringing up. I think it's why maybe a lot of them fail is because people think that hey, just because I'm doing this, I can get a sponsor, and they they find a way to get a sponsor, but then they, they can't maintain it. And it, it takes that maintenance. It's, you know, what I was talking about in the early days of rock crawling when I was scared to death, when we didn't get on the podium and do well to represent our sponsors, are they going to dump us? So I kept backing up everything we did with work, with writing articles, taking pictures, giving them to media outlets. And that's been an evolving process. You know, now it's all social media, social media uh, is Luke Johnson. who told me a couple of years ago, flabbergasted me he said well winning isn't fashionable anymore it's how many social media followers you have and it's like holy cow you know and it's it's definitely changed the the racing world social media but you you do have to constantly work for your sponsors and treat it like a job and and show them for us it's showing them that we're reinvesting that we're staying relevant that we're working hard that we're finding ways to market our team and a lot of it too, I think, Rich, is just having shared values and a, and a shared image and a quality representation. And, and we've, you know, we've been very fortunate. Uh, all our career, we've been sponsored by BFG and something that, that we've always been very proud of. Amsoil. People ask me, well, how'd you get Amsoil to sponsor you? Well, back in 2004 or five, I wrote them a proposal. And I sent out proposals with, hey, here's what we're doing. Here's the marketing we're getting. 19 out of 20 of those, they go in the trash can. But Amsoil gave me a call and said, yeah, well, basically we're interested. And again, I'm thinking, oh, I'm rich. I'm getting money. Everything's going to change. Nope. They sent me some product. It's been an earned relationship. Product and then more product and product and a little bit of cash. And and then that's grown. But, but we've grown together. It's... It's the reason why we're here. And I, I don't think we should ever forget that. True. Now, you, you'd said something about the desert racing, you know, and, and going over the blind hills and, you know, how it, everybody fearless or, or just whatever. Let's talk, about, let's talk about something that I think is really dangerous that you've done, and that's Pike's Peak. Yeah. Well, so, and I, I got a great view of it right out my window right yes. here. Yeah. And I, and uh, I was actually spotted the road the other day. It's still snowy up there. Pike's peak is, I can remember uh, telling my mom when we got involved with rock crawling, she said, Oh, that's dangerous. That's dangerous. And I remember saying, mom, it's not like we're racing Pike's peak. And then uh, I think it's 2008, 2000. No, it was 2010. I built that ProLite and it's the whole rock crawling nature, Rich. It's, it's the, the people that we're cut from, right? It was, I was building the ProLite and I was thinking, you know, I have a race car now. I bet I can race that on Pikes Peak. So sure enough, I call, I call him up and it's like, well, you can run in the open class, I guess. Yeah, right on. So I remember I came back from Crandon and it's like Pikes Peak is like hell week because you have to get up at two in the morning and, we, we deadheaded home from Crandon and barely had time to clean the mud off. 
and I think the first practice day we just ran on uh, on mud tires, and then we we changed to uh, some some more uh, streetable tires, I guess, because it was still gravel and and pavement at the time. But oh, I worked so hard that year, and honestly, that first year is like you know I'm just I'm gonna make it to the top. I'm not gonna die doing this, and sure enough, made it up and in. in I think it was, I don't know, high 12s, 1258 or something like that, which is still kind of hauling ass for that mountain. You know, there, there are some, uh, some turns that uh, have been made famous, but for a reason. So the next year it's like, Hey, we're, we're getting more serious about this. So I bought a alcohol carb from uh, Leonard Vashold's here, his local and alcohol burns a lot cleaner up there. So now we're running home from Crandon, changing tires, changing wheels, changing carb, changing fuel, doing and so it just made it harder. But man, it was pretty fun, and uh, and I think that year was the year that uh, JT and Dave Cole and uh, Kevin Yoder and a bunch of the rock crawling guys came out, and my brother Roger ran. And God, I had this this damn bet with JT. He was thinking he could out qualify me. And I, uh, yeah, shut up, JT. You don't know what you're talking about. Well, they qualify in the lower section, which was still gravel. And I'd been burning my tires up on the upper section, hauling ass on the pavement. So he, he qualified. I go down there the next day and I had slicks more or less. And Rich, it was the scariest thing. Oh my God. Was, the car was so loose on that gravel. I thought I was going to die. So I slowed it down and then I still thought I was going to die. So I was lucky just to keep it on the road and JT out qualified me and he's never going to let that go. <laughs> but uh, so anyway, yeah, my brother took off two cars in front of me and, you know, you're staged waiting to go and there's a big hole up in line and it's like, what's going on? And he had gotten loose in one of the turns down low in the trees and clipped some shot creep that they had used in the ditches and sent him tumbling right down the center of the, the road and that ended up total in his car. It was a pretty scary deal. So, <laughs> you know, there's some times in a, in a race car where you just have to stay focused and kind of nut up and do what you have to do. And, and that was a hard one for me, but, you know, made it to the top and, and I did it in 1215. So I, I bettered my time by quite a bit. And, and then you sit up at the top all day at 14,000 feet. You have no way to come down. Cell phone didn't work up there. So I, we had a little intermittent radio contact and I, I heard that my brother was okay, but uh, it was a long day sitting up there. I won't forget it. And then, so that, that was the, the end of my Pikes Peak career. We were all set up, ready to go the following year. And we had fires out here and it, it moved the race to a new weekend that has forever been on top of Crandon. So, uh, and, and now the race it's, it's totally changed. There's supercars out here and Porsches and these guys run uh, bottled oxygen now to, to, you know, make sure they're keeping their minds straight. And it's changed a lot since, uh, you know, we're slinging gravel and staying wide on the turns and, and that's okay. It's, it's got a future, but it's, it's not one that that's including me. Understood. Yeah. It's, it's changed a lot when they brought in all those, those rally car guys and the Formula One drivers and stuff, you know, they, oh yeah. I mean, these guys, you know, most of those guys, when they're factory sponsored like that are, I don't think they ever work on the cars. 
You know, yeah, it's they may, they may sit there and look and see what guys are doing, and they may understand it, but it's a totally different game. You know, they're it they're it, it absolutely is, and uh, you know, Volkswagen spent twenty million or something, twenty million dollars to to build to develop and build an electric car to run up there, and you know they've they've killed it. They did great, but and it's it's a big event in Europe actually to a lot of European drivers come over and run it. And there are years like when Volkswagen was here, that's a big year, but they're kind of, you know, one and done. And so this, this past year, it's kind of a little bit of a dud because there weren't any uh, real big names there. And that's, uh, it's something we deal with. I think more and more in, in motorsports is cherry picking and, you know, maybe it's whether it's uh, a, an OEM or a, a huge team coming in like Peugeot came in with Loeb one year and just destroyed the record up here. But, you know, they come, they, they do their goal and then they leave. And, and it's hard to say whether that helps the sport. And I think it's something we're dealing with, with series of races across all of off-road is people will come in and cherry pick the one big event and then go run another big single event and not support the whole series. And it's, it's hard. And, and we've done it both ways. We've cherry picked and we've run the series and I don't know what to say, but it's, <laughs> it's going to, it's going to be a future challenge, I think. Yeah, it is. We, we've always looked at it with the rock crawling and then with the dirt riot racing that we did is to put our nationals had to be our, our biggest events. Then those national finals, we protected them. You had to have at least, competed with us in the past or, you know, to win the title, you could come out and, and win, you know, come out and, and run the event, but you right. weren't going to be called that national champion. So right. we always tried to tie it in to protect the integrity of that, but right. it's a small enough sport. You can do that. I'm not, you know, if, if somebody, you know, it's... some manufacturer came in and was going to throw millions of dollars at it, you know, I'd probably be going, okay, well, let's see what we right, can do to right. change that for you. you right. Know? I mean, to be uh, honest, it's, it's, it's a, it's a tough balance, you know, and I don't, honestly, I don't know that there is a right answer, Rich, but it's, it's tough. And, and ultimately you've got to support those who are supporting you, whether they're competitors or sponsors. And, and uh, I've, I'll tell you, I have never, ever envied a promoter because it looks, looks like the most thankless, uh, difficult job. And, you know, you always end up being the centerpiece. You know, if it rains, what are you going to do? Go bitch at the promoter. <laughs> if there's a virus, uh, go bitch at the promoter. <laughs> exactly. So, so, you know, the the one thing you get into that, the one thing that that I've always tried to to do, and it's probably hindered me from from being, from taking rock crawling, being more of a, grassroots sport and making it, you know, some huge event is I've always wanted to keep it real and keeping it real was making sure that the drivers were always treated the same, that yeah. the marketing partners were, were all treated the same, you know, and never, never favored anybody over anybody else, you know, try to keep it as level of playing field with racers. Racers always want, whatever their newest idea is or whatever they are doing to be the new rule or what they yep. think it should be. 
you know, somebody's really great at rear steer. Oh, you know, you, you got to get rid of rear steer penalties. You know, right. if it's, if it's, uh, you know, Hey, my car outperforms everybody else. If you do this, I can drop down a class and right. you know, then I can dominate. It's, it's always been about, you know, with us, what's best for the entire sport or everything that we're doing, not, you know, for the individual. And well, it's really hard for people to understand that until they get on this side of the right banner. But I, I think, you know, it's a, it's an ethical question. And I just, my solution is you have to find the, the best ethical answer because if, if you're willing to violate that, then you're on a slippery slope that's going to end up at, at the bottom and fail. And I think it's, it's ultimately important to do what you're saying. Watch out for the integrity of the sport, the integrity of your team or your organization. It's, it's something that we've always tried to do. I'm I'm sure that <laughs> I'm sure that there's somebody I've used up in a turn and, <laughs> and messed up or something, but you know, it's, I, I've, I've never, never been wanted to be labeled a, a cheater or, or somebody who's a dirty driver or something. I mean, my kids watch me race and I, I always, I want to finish the race and feel good about what I've done. <laughs> that that said, I'm sure I've nerfed people a little bit too hard, but I feel bad about it. <laughs> <laughs> so have you ever sent a, a I'm sorry letter <laughs> or an email or anything like that? There, there there are some there are some people on the unsorry list or or like I've like I've seen on the internet, some people if if I knew I had uh COVID that I'd go visit, you know. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's tough. There there are some things. I remember the Paul one thousand one year. I was running with BFG and this guy Brian Finch. He's a great friend of mine now, and uh, it was maybe the first year that we had run together. And he's a pavement racer, you know. And things are a little bit different in pavement. We were going down this high speed road coming out to the K seventy seven access on the the cutover road to San Felipe. There, it's pretty early in the race, running in the dust of this buggy just running in the dust, man, I couldn't get by him and I'm frustrated, high speed road. And there was this terrible hazard. There's a cattle guard or something out there. I think a post in the middle of the road. And I believe it was Pat Sims hit that thing. Whack. He rolled and his truck is there. So the car slowed down, (laughs) slowed down for the accident, which is of course what you got to do. And in that meantime, I'm slowing down. I'm being reasonable too. And I, I gather him up. I'm right behind him. So before he could get back on the gas, I hit him and knock him off into the bushes and get by him. <laughs> and poor, my, my poor co-driver, Brian Finch, he's still offended by that, you know, because he was, he's thinking I just totally used up the guy. And I, I guess maybe I did, but man, you know, what, what happens? You have free air and now you can run. So you, you got to be willing to do that sometimes, I think. <laughs> That's another thing that, that I try to stress it when, at our driver's meetings with our racing. And it even went back to in the Vora days, Valley off-road racing days, the, the, in the mid early to mid two thousands was at those driver's meeting is just, is talk about etiquette when you're on course, you know, especially desert racing or, or the, the ultra four style racing, the short, you know, ours was more short course stuff, you know, but not true short course. And it's like, you know, if somebody's caught you 
and you're you're on timed, yep. <clears throat> you know, your time yeah. starts, you know, that means he's he's faster. Right. So that's not the time to go. block or to learn to try to be fast. You know, let the guy buy. You know, you, and so, it's it's hard for people to do that. So I'm a big believer in in desert karma, I call it. But you know, if if you do, I, I really do think if you do good things for people, good things will happen to you more often than not. And and Rich, I believe what you're saying. And that's the way we've always raised King of the Hammers. It's like, if you want to pass this, go for it. Knock yourself out, you know. More often than not, you find the guy later down the course broken. But so, and this is where I tell you that things are are different. Like, so the Mint this year, we're running and we qualified third in spec trophy truck. We've got a whole bunch of trucks behind us. I blew a turn coming into the pit. Right when I'm coming into the pit, truck's nerfing us just lightly from behind this householder, pretty aggressive date. And I'm thinking, you know what? It's like, just let him go. Cause like what you're saying, we're in the pit, we're 25 miles an hour. I'm just going to let him go, let him wad it up. It's his race. Cause anymore, I like to focus on it's me versus the desert and the other, the other vehicles are the byproduct, right? I can't control them. I'm going to worry about me versus the desert and rich. I let him go. And what happened? There's another truck right on his bumper. So now I got to let that guy go too. So now I dropped two spots down to fifth. Well, Householder ended up winning the race. We caught the other guy, but I, I regret doing that because he still has to earn his position in front of me. And if he can beat me in the pits by driving 25 and I'm going 24, then it's his. But I, I, so yes, I agree with you from, from an ethical standpoint, but they also have to learn it, earn it, you know? And yeah. I get I it. There's a fine line. And it depends. It depends on the circumstances, apparently. But I but again, talking about lessons learned, I'm still learning lessons, you know. Right. I, I remember one time out here in, in Texas. I'm we're we're sheltering in place here in Texas. <laughs> we were racing out here and I could hear Levi Shirley on his siren from shortly after he came through the pits. And I can hear him for like eight miles on the course because of the way this canyons off-road park was. And he's trying to get around one of the another team. And I can hear the siren going the whole way. Well, the other team, as they come into the start finish line and then the hot pits are after that, you know, I'm pointing to him to pull over. He starts to pull over. Levi starts to go around him as they're going in the pits, but he's pulling over to allow him to go by. No passing in the pit lane, right? So he starts to go around him. He cuts back, almost, and then so Levi, so they didn't lock up tire to tire. Do you know what happens with forty four hundred yep. cars when you do that? He goes wide and and hits the throttle, goes over the speed limit to get so they don't collide, and then the guy turns off. Next time around, I black flagged Levi and said we had our little discussion about <laughs> passing the way he passed in the pits, and then. But, you know, I know he was frustrated because for eight miles, he right. followed that guy all the way around the course. Right. And then when the when that guy came in, I black flagged him and explained to him what he had done wrong to create Levi to do right. something wrong. And, you know, it's it's one of those things that as a promoter, you need to deal with those instances. And it's a lot easier when the course is only eight miles long. You know, right. Vegas to Reno, you know, what happens out there? Well, you know, you, you don't have the chance or even a 50 mile loop 
it's tough. You know, so nobody's the, there the, to watch. The thing is, Rich, I a, a few years ago, we there's some local go-kart racing going on out here. And I figured, you know what? I want to get my kids involved with racing. So let's do some go-kart racing. And they're, you know, they, they watch dad run short course and everything. And it's aggressive. And, and go-karts, those guys are latte sipping, uh, sitting in the clubhouse, watching somebody else work on their car. Snotty people, quite frankly. And, you know, Byam's out there. He was running great. And, and he's aggressive and there's some car contact. So, so the, the steward came in and talked to me and it's like, Hey, we got to tighten this up. He's right. It's a different form of racing and, and it's not bumper cars. So let's tighten it up during the race. There was like a little incidental contact and Hey, it's hard. You know, what am I a hockey dad? I don't know, but it's, it's hard to see something like that happen. And, and he didn't, he, you know, he kicked my son out of the race it's like you're done you're gone there's no penalty there's no nothing and I remember feeling so frustrated about it because if you don't you know where are you supposed to learn unless it's in the beginning classes of go-kart racing or you know with with dirt riot the amateur classes of off-road racing that's where we do have to learn and I value so much dirt riot and, and, and I loved racing it because that's where these people can go learn these lessons where maybe there's, there's a less, less of an impact financially or, you know, just investment wise to travel three States over to go to an ultra four race or something. And, and we need those venues. True. But you got to have, you know, a, the promoter of those kind of races needs to also understand that's their place. Yeah. You know, so many, so many promoters out there want to be NASCAR, you know, they want to be formula one, they want to be IndyCar, whatever the, you know, wherever the top is in their, in their group, it's always good to have competition as a promoter, but you got to know where you're at, where, when to make that move. If you're going to try to be bigger and better and all that, I think that's one thing you see, you see so many people get in and out of the, the promotion end of racing is because it, it is, it's difficult at times to not throw everything you have behind it and then, or, and know when to, it's almost like racing strategy or building a race yep. car. You know, there's, well, I, there's a, lot of, thinking, a lot of things involved. I was thinking about it earlier today, Rich, because I think, you know, looking back at, at rock crawling and who we were, we, we wanted so much. We wanted nothing more than to be recognized by the whole off-road industry and to make it bigger than desert racing and to be NASCAR. And we thought we were going to be NASCAR. And there are still, I, I, it's kind of like a brotherhood, all those, all those people, because a few of them are still around actively in racing. A few of them are doing associated things, but, you know, they're, they're a lot of the best friends I have. And we fought so hard. I remember calling suppliers Hey, I need this part. Well, what are you using it for? Well, I'm using a rock car. Oh, that's the wrong part. Ah. And it's like, you don't even know what I'm doing, man. You know? <laughs> and now that's, that's totally changed, but we, we fought so hard for recognition and I, were we, were we wrong to do it, Rich? I don't know. But what it, what it led to was man-made courses and doing it in front of SEMA and all this stuff that, was not sustainable and, and wasn't reflective of what 
rock crawling really is. And, and that's where I think it's, it's great now where it is because it's, it's a hell of a lot of fun and you can be competitive doing it and it's affordable. And, and I love what you're doing with it. It, it was not sustainable where it was. It kind of grew up and collapsed. It's funny. I ran into, I haven't seen Ranch Pratt in 10 years, I bet. And I ran into him at the mint and we had a brief conversation and uh, I think he, he kind of sees it the same way. I mean, stuff just got to the point where it, it wasn't sustainable and it wasn't reflective of the, the base that was supporting it. So, but there was, there was so much battle for recognition. And I think that that has overflowed into King of the Hammers and wanting that recognition. And you know what? I, just this weekend, we're on ABC, you know, the wide world of sports has turned into X Games, whatever it is, live. Or, that's cool. It's cool. It is. There's, again, so many things from watching yourself on ABC. That's awesome. But from there down to just being the weekend rock crawler, there's so much fun to be had in that realm. Again, I always encourage people, don't get too big for your britches. Just start somewhere that it's fun and, and progress and enjoy the journey. And try to keep it fun. Because if, exactly. it's, if it's no longer fun, then it becomes very difficult to continue to do. Yep. You know, And that's I, one of the things with us um, is I've always tried to keep it fun. For us, for the teams, you know, we, we try to build that camaraderie. There's there's people that really enjoy that, and then there's others that are, you know, they're still A-type personalities, but they're more of a recluse and and don't want to join in with the rest of the group. But right. that's and, – and it's understandable. I mean, that's life. Right. But we try to make it that, that way. But as I get older, it's a lot harder to make those Friday and Saturday nights last longer. Uh, <laughs> well. You can be able to do, we all have. do these events on like four hours of sleep each night. Right. Yeah, not anymore. <laughs> right. Well, I, I've always felt that same way, Rich, because when, when it's, there's, there's never going to be enough money. I mean, there's, it's motorsports. Money doesn't come out of it. It stays in it. And then it blows up in race engines if you're unlucky. Or if you are lucky, you want a few extra bucks winning a race or something. But it, it has to be fun and it has to be driven by passion. Quite honestly, I mean, there are times where I just live and breathe and can't get enough of it. And then other times where, man, it gets old. It, you know, short course was a lot of work for a lot of those years. And then the last few years doing it, it kind of sucked. It hurt because you go to these events and you don't see that they're as bright and shiny as the last one. And you see, you know, you're worried about truck count and worried about venues happening and and it's kind of like, you know, too much about the health of the sport and it hurt for a while, you know, and, and then, Hey, you know, I think a lot of times you need change and, you know, Hey, we're changing vehicles or changing programs and getting involved in the desert and man, it's awesome. And there's no reason to worry about truck counts, but it costs a piece of money and the logistics are tough. And just this morning I was looking for hotel rooms, even right now, hotel rooms are pain in the ass because they're all bought up already or you know there's whatever you got to do you you got to put all of yourself in it if you want to be successful true very true and that that's life in general whether it's motorsports or or your work um right. you know the job that you go to your family all that it's right all of its work or right. you know there's effort there's got to be effort yep sure and 
And so like looking forward to my kids, what, you know, I, I, I love for them to race. We've run the BAH 500 together in ETV. We've, we've done things here and there at the end of the day, it takes as much money as anything else and time. So do I want them to enjoy racing? Absolutely. But what I want for them more than anything is for them to find what they're passionate about. Like I am racing and throw themselves at it and be successful because uh, they're driven and they feel rewarded from it. If it's racing, great, but I'm not predetermined to make it racing. Awesome. That's, that's good advice for any parent. Um, I coached, I coached little league football pop Warner for, for quite a few years because, you know, little rich was wanting to play football and I got into the coaching end of it, really loved it. But there were parents out there that were just on top of their kids. And, right. and there, was, there was one parent in particular out of Northern California, I can remember. His kid wanted nothing to do with football. You know, he wanted to go play the piano that his mom had in the right. den and learn to become a pianist. Right. And his dad says, no, that's not what boys do. You're going to become a football player. And that kid wanted no part of make, making contact. And if you're going to play football, you've got to understand right. there's going to be contact. Right. You know? And he was dead afraid. And I said, okay, fine. I'm going to protect this kid because that was the only kid I ever coached that I couldn't get him, you know, teach him how to hit and take a hit. So I protected him and his dad came unglued. You know, you got to do this. You got to do that. And I had a Jesus you know, come to meeting with him, you know, <laughs> sit down, talk. I do that a lot <laughs> with people. And I just sat him you down. Got to. I don't care who you are, right. what you think your kid needs. You're wrong. Yeah. You know, your son wants no part of this. Give him the opportunity to do what he wants to do. Right. And see what happens. Maybe in another year or two, he'll come back to it. But you force him now, he will never, ever do it. And he'll hold a grudge against you. Right. And, and you're, you're going to lose either way. You know, I think, I think at the end of the day, my, my kids will be involved with racing and love racing. But would I advise to them to be a pro race car driver? I don't know. It's kind of gnarly, Rich. It's, <laughs> I mean, there, there are times back in the day when they were young. We'd, uh, we were, we were living out of our trailer. We'd go from here to there and around to different event sites. And you know what? I loved it. It was fun. It was great. I don't know. We got, we got tied down in the rat race and, and things change, but, uh, it, it's always been an adventure. That's what, that's what I've told people. It's, it's always been an adventure, uh, highs and lows and ups and downs. I can remember changing. I think it was after one of your events out in, uh, Hannibal. Uh, is before or after that we had to my wife and I had to change our transmission in the rain and it was cold and that's like a a three-hour job on a good day that wasn't a fun day (laughs) but then we then we went on we went down to the the Appalachians and hung out there and uh, I think maybe then we went to Jellicoe after that did an event so it's you know they're they're highs and lows but uh, it's it's an adventure You should thank your stars that you have a wife and a partner like Natalie that allows, that understands that this is important to you and right. that, and that helps make that happen. And, and is right. not 
throwing up walls and, you know, locking the doors to, for you to be able to do that. Um, it's, it's really important to have the right people with you and behind you, you know, whether it's crew, family, marketing partners, whatever, to make it all work. You're, you're very right about that, Rich. And it, it is my wife, it is my family, it is marketing partners and it, you know, doing it year over year, being gone for substantial amounts of time, it, it can be tough. And, you know, if you, if you go read race car driver books, it says you got to be greedy to be a race car driver. And some, some days I feel greedy and I don't like it. You got to take, and you got to, you got to realize that if, if you're not willing to take and, and push hard, then the guy, the next car over, he'll leave his wife, he'll move, he'll go broke to beat you. You know, it's, it's that cutthroat and it, so I guess you got to decide your limit and, and my limit has always been, my family's going to be first. I'm not going to, I'm not going to get a divorce out of this. I'm not going to lose my house. I'm not going to go broke, but I'm going to do everything I can within that box, you know, <laughs> which might mean pissing off my wife every now and then, but you know, it's hard. It's, it's hard on a family. There's a lot of travel. I, for the, the virus, I really wasn't quite sure how I was going to make it through this spring with, with the amount of travel, with back-to-back events. There's so many great events going on now. So it's it's kind of been a, a, a welcome respite to come home and, and uh, spend some time at home. And then when racing picks up, we'll be right back at it. Awesome. So the spec trophy truck is where your, your focus is now. What are you looking at? Uh, is there anything else that's on that? checklist you know that that's a potential that like wow i'd really like to try that so one one thing i've always wanted to do is i don't know to me to make it feel like i'm a i'm a baja guy i've been racing down there for 12 years but what do i want to do i want to run my own truck in the thousand why i don't know because it's a hell of a lot of money uh it means bringing other drivers on and everything but i want to feel like i've done that and I want to be competitive doing it. I have, over the last couple of years, uh, kind of as an aside to racing, I've started doing work for Ford and been involved with the development of the Bronco. And I have some goals there that I would like to accomplish that probably can't be made public right now. But I, I've, I've always been a Ford guy. And I, I love the fact that Ford is coming back so strong and off-road and they're so focused on it. So I definitely want to do that. I want to race a whole score series, although it's, man, it's tough. It's, it's just tough logistically, money-wise, but it's, it's, it's great. And I want to, I want to race in Mexico. I, I'd like to do, uh, you know, looking further down the road, I think I'd like to do some expeditionary stuff. You know, now, now isn't the, the best time to be talking about long distance travel, but I want to go down into Central America. I want to go down into South America and see a lot of that and do it in a vehicle. I've, I've gone across the Australian outback. I bought an old 78 Land Rover and went over there for a few months. And that was great. And I learned a lot about myself. And I, I want my kids to, to experience that and enjoy that. I, I have some desires there. And obviously, I want to keep racing. I want to 
keep running King of the Hammers and and uh, be focused on on the desert and go haul ass with spec trophy truck and fly over those blind rises. <laughs> Excellent. So we've touched all the bases. Is there anything else that that you'd like to touch on? I don't know, Rich. I think I think we've covered so much about about my racing career and my thoughts on race. And I guess I, I very much appreciate the opportunity and, and uh, I, I really do appreciate what you do for the sport and what you do for the guys coming up in the sport. And you've, you've always been there, uh, whether it's doing media stuff, uh, the magazine events, and uh, it's always much appreciated. Okay. Well, remember anytime you want to write for four low, you can do it because you've always provided great stuff. And <laughs> insightful whether it's you know trips with your your son your your kids um whether it's about you know what it takes to to do something you, you want to put together some tech anything that you have time to do we'd be more than happy because well i'll, it's, it's I'll, been a I'll make sure to i'll make sure to carve out some time because uh i've been it'll it'll come to to light someday but i've been involved in some pretty cool stuff uh with the bronco that i'd love to talk about and, uh, you know, generally I like writing articles anyway, so we'll get you something together. Perfect. Perfect. We'd love to be that outlet for you. Thank you so much, Brad, for being part of my life for a long time and sharing your life with us here, you know, on this right podcast, on. but also, you know, sharing your life in, in racing and, and rock crawling with us over the years. I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, likewise, Rich. It's, been, right. a, it's been a wild adventure, hasn't it? <laughs> yes, it has. That it has. Right on, man. Thank you. Well, that's another episode of Conversations with Big Rich. I'd like to thank you all for listening. If you could do us a favor and uh, leave us a review on any podcast service that you happen to be listening on, or send us an email or a text message or a Facebook message, and let me know uh, any ideas that you have, or if there's anybody that you have that you would think would be a great guest please forward the contact information to me so that we can uh, try to get them on. And always remember, live life to the fullest. Enjoying life is a must. Follow your dreams and live life with all the gusto you can. Thank you.